Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. What a finale for Better Call Saul. We'll delve into the triumphant finish for one of the best shows of all time. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll see how the new Prime Video series, A League of Their Own, stacks up against the classic sports movie from the 90s. Plus... A couple of big shows debut this week. It's time to head back to Westeros, and Marvel is looking for its next smash. But first, it was the end of an era as we said goodbye this week to Better Call Saul. If he hadn't walked into my office that day, Walter White would have been dead or behind bars within a month. And Agent Schrader and Agent Gomez and a whole lot of other people would still be alive. As with all series finales, we get nervous that they'll kind of botch it at the end, but no need to worry with Better Call Saul. As it turns out, they stuck the landing with an emotional ending that did something the show always did. It went somewhere that was impossible to have predicted, but also felt impossible to have gone any other way. It also brought back some characters we've loved and lost along the way by way of flashbacks and wrapped everything up in an appropriate manner. Saul Goodman was a lawyer and the show's marquee scene was a courtroom scene. That seems to have made a lot of sense. We got one more episode of Saul successfully talking himself out of a jam. Always a thrill to watch. And then, of course, there was a twist after that. But most importantly, we got closure on the Saul and Kim relationship, which was very satisfying, very artistically done. And again, it just seemed like an inevitable conclusion to their story and overall an inevitable conclusion to the entire series. From day one, Better Call Saul was a different sort of show. It was a, a prequel that had preordained conclusions for a lot of characters because of what happened in Breaking Bad. So the joy was really in the journey. But of course, there was always the little black and white aftermath scenes over the years. And we knew that that would play some part in the end of the series. I don't think any of us expected there would be uh, four episodes of mostly black and white scenes. And if nothing else, Better Call Saul will go down in history for getting millions of people to watch a black and white show for a month and not minded at all. Earlier this summer, we did our top 10 shows of the year lists, and we both had Better Call Saul at number two. I had it behind We Own This City, but I do think now I am ready to bump Saul to the top of the list for 2022. Just from those last month's worth of shows, uh, it's just been phenomenal. Where it stands all time, not sure yet. This season was excellent, but I remember earlier seasons being a little underwhelming at times, although now maybe I'd like them more. At the time, it was just weird trying to square this new show with Breaking Bad, and it wasn't obvious where it was going to go. I also thought the Chuck story overstayed its welcome by at least one season. And I still don't think Saul was better than Breaking Bad, although both shows did get better as they went along right up to the end. And that's a very rare thing. I would say you, you can't really think of one of these two shows without the other at this point. They're tied together in that regard. And it's just beyond outstanding what the showrunners have done over the past 15 years, creating this world in Albuquerque. Spinoffs are tough. Most of them suck. And even for the ones that are good, they're rarely this good. I would say Cheers and Frasier, maybe the only other comparable pair of shows where the spinoff was very much its own thing while still feeling like it fit with the original show. And, and now that Saul's gone, you know, I'm excited to rewatch Breaking Bad. But uh, what a week for Saul. It was a terrific finale. I'd also say that there was a, a big rainstorm and lightning storm where we were while the finale was ending in Winnipeg. And uh, that just added to the mood and the tension. And the, I was literally afraid that my power was going to get knocked out during the finale of Saul. And I was getting ready. Just I was going to pitch quite a fit if that was going to happen, but it, it didn't happen. And uh, everyone loves a raining night. It's a great time for TV. So it was a, a wonderful environment as it turned out to watch the finale for Better Call Saul. What do you think, Brett? 
Oh, I loved it so much. It was, uh, they really stuck the landing. There was, and there was no fear that they would blow this one because they, they put so much care into the uh, Breaking Bad and the finale for that. And uh, people were saying, oh, hopefully they get the ending right. But there was never any doubt for me. I guess there was perhaps a tiny bit of fear, but really I, I had m no lack of confidence that it would be outstanding stuff. And um, it just what a series. You're right. It was, a, it was a wonderful journey. And I would agree with the, the initial season's being sort of mysterious because you're wondering, like, we are not even close to getting to him being Saul Goodman. So it was just interesting to watch his early days and trying to figure out how is this going to connect to the guy he eventually becomes. Because when we met Jimmy McGill, he was just kind of a small-time con man who was a small-time lawyer who could, couldn't afford a could barely afford to get a coffee. He was always scrambling to, to get whatever cases he could get. So to watch that guy become the millionaire sleazeball lawyer that he eventually became, it was remarkable. And the way that they were able to tie in all of the characters from Breaking Bad in a way that wasn't contrived, in a way that made sense, was just perfect. And we've often talked about um, just how how much fun it was to watch a show where sometimes you would just watch them doing things meticulously for five, 10 minutes with zero dialogue. And it was some of the most fascinating stuff we've ever watched. Like when Mike Ehrmantraut uh, tore apart that cart or tore apart that car when he was, I can't remember what he was looking for, uh, a, a bug, I think like a mic. And I think he, I remember him building some sort of like, home security uh, thing made out of a hose or something. I can't remember. But maybe, you know what, maybe if they do a third spinoff, that could be it. And I, I'm, I can hear the, the trailer guy now from the creators of Breaking Bad and the creators of Better Call Saul comes the next installment in the Breaking Bad universe. Mike Ehrmantraut does things. Watch as Mike makes a home security system out of a hose. Watch as Mike tears apart a car. Watch as Mike Ehrmantraut does his taxes. This and more. Ten seasons of Mike doing things starting September on AMC. Anyway, I don't know. I, I just absolutely watch that. I would <laughs> love that show. It could just be him doing, yeah, just like home improvements or something like that. <laughs> Mike Herman teaches you how to replace your uh, garburator. <laughs> also, did you notice at the end of the the show that said that uh, was it? I think Bob Odenkirk and Giancarlo Esposito both have new shows coming to AMC. Uh, one of the yeah. so Bob Odenkirk is going to be in something called Straight Man, and what was uh, Giancarlo Esposito's show? Was it? Uh, I don't know. Parish? Just, something like that. They just gave titles and like no indication whatsoever of even what kind of a show either of those would be. So it was it was pretty good. The commercial breaks were long. Like it was a long episode, but the breaks were longer. So I don't know that it was really a whole lot longer as far as actual show time went. And uh, and it seemed it was almost. 
I can't remember specifics, but because I, I, I fast forwarded through a lot of the breaks because I started late. But the stuff I did see, I was like, wow, this is really like AMC Super Bowl because a lot of the commercials seemed tailor made for this finale. There were other promos for other shows that were making little Saul jokes and stuff like that. Really? I didn't notice yeah. any of that. Yeah, there was there was oh some zombie show or something. It was like better call the zombie hunters or something like oh, that. Oh wow. Okay. Like okay. Uh, maybe I'll have to go back and uh and look into that. But yeah, it was just it was a wonderful finale. And I Okay, I wanna point this out to you before I forget. A buddy of mine texted me a screen grab of uh a former critic from Entertainment Weekly. My buddy says uh what an old grump he became, a former longtime EWTV critic. The guy's name is Ken Tucker, and he says, What a grave disappointment the Better Call Saul finale was. A cave-in to Easter egg callback culture and that postscript grovel to the fans. Ick. Because there's that thank you from the whole cast and the creators at the end yeah. of this. Uh, but I don't... We talked about this last week, like where sometimes we wonder, are we being too easy on this stuff? But I just, I thought it was perfect. And it was, I liked that the Breaking Bad finale was like really exciting and tense and thrilling. And this was much more subdued and it just made perfect sense to me for the way that they ended this story. Yeah, this fit in with it show. Like it, it was a better call Saul episode. It made perfect sense. He was uh, bartering with other lawyers, and you know what? Like uh, turning on the charm and uh, showing why, how you know how charming Saul could be when he really wanted to be. Uh, you know, when he's working towards his own ends and stuff like that. So, uh, nah, it, it worked. It worked. It, I thought it was just terrific. It was, it was a smart, intelligent, and emotionally satisfying uh, conclusion to the show, and it, it weirdly parallels the Seinfeld finale, which was a. Uh, that was actually quite a big departure from the rest of that series, but uh, they both had like uh, important courtroom scenes, so we'll leave it at that. And I'm just looking at RottenTomatoes.com, and uh, maybe this this should be a good read. It says, "Hear us out. Better Call Saul is a better show than Breaking Bad. Six ways the AMC prequel surpassed its amazing predecessor." So I haven't read this yet, and I'm not at a point where I'm prepared to declare either of them as the better show. Uh, I think I would have to watch both of them again all the way through to make that decision. And and I really, I don't feel compelled to make that decision. They're just, they're both excellent shows. Yeah. You don't I've, have to make the decision, right? I mean, just watch both of them. You, it's not like you, one of them's going to disappear forever. You can watch both of them until the end of time. We're right after another if you want. Yeah. It really is a marvelous achievement from those show creators to have not just one, but now two of the best shows ever made like ever not it's not hyperbole i think to am i wrong no you're right you're absolutely right that's it's for sure it's a it's an amazing achievement what they've done okay now up next we're going to tell you about the two big new shows we just said goodbye to one of the biggest shows at least for the couch potatoes better call saul in a moment two big shows set to make a splash you are listening to the couch potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and there is a huge new show. Actually, two really big shows this week, but one is easily going to be the biggest thing on television. It's this. Kings. 
It's time to head back to Westeros for more from the Game of Thrones. This series is called House of the Dragon. It'll be on HBO in the States, Crave in Canada. Set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, the series chronicles the beginning of the end of House Targaryen. The events leading up to and covering the Targaryen War of Succession known as the Dance of the Dragons. And for those familiar with Game of Thrones, of course you remember the Targaryens. They're the ones with the dragons. And it was Daenerys Targaryen who rose to the Iron Throne courtesy of her dragons before she ultimately... Well, things didn't uh, necessarily go her way. Let's just leave it at that. But based on portions of the book Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, came out in 2018. Apparently, there's supposed to be a second Fire and Blood book, but good luck with that, LOL. I mean, people who read the original books, The Song of Ice and Fire, the books that the television series was based on, the book he never finished the series of books. So it's almost like he's not... He's clearly not. In, I mean, he says he's interested, and he's going. He still says he's going to finish those books. But come on, it's been years—like ten, maybe ten or fifteen years, I think—since the last book came out. Do you remember, Jeff, how long it's been? I don't. It's been yeah, it's been a minute. I, I it's it's I would say probably at least ten years. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Oh, the last one came out in 2011. A Dance with Dragons and the Winds of yeah. Winter is supposed to be the next one, and then the seventh book, A Dream of Spring. So, anyway, <laughs> but um, look, say what you will about the way that the the final season went. I know a lot of people were not happy with it, particularly the finale. But uh, I am excited to to see how this plays out because it's a completely different story, right? It's not about everybody trying to from outside trying to get the Iron Throne. It's about this family that essentially tears itself apart. I'm excited too. I, I have no idea. Is that okay? That's what it's about. That's that's fine. I, I hope I can, with all things Game of Thrones, I'm mostly concerned that I'll be confused and won't be able to follow it because there's always so many characters and so much stuff going on. And so actually, and characters are what make the show, right? So as long as they have some interesting characters in this thing, and why wouldn't they? It, it should be okay. I mean, it'd be tough to kind of top a, a scene stealer like Tyrion Lannister, that type of thing. But there's got to be somebody in this show that'll sort of pick up the reins as far as that kind of stuff goes. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Game of Thrones. Uh, I actually enjoyed the last season. I got uh, no complaints about it at all. I thought it was a fitting ending to that series, actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm down for the House of the Dragon. Game. So that debuts on Sunday. The latest series from Marvel actually debuted Thursday, August 18th. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. When you're a Hulk, trouble's going to find you. This Thursday. Weird, unexpected trouble. Let's do this. She-Hulk. Hulk Jen is a total snack. Hulk. Yes! Abomination. Namaste. Walk. The Sorcerer Supreme. And Madison. Two ends, one Y, but it's not where you think. Just remember whose show this actually is. She-Hulk is streaming on Disney Plus this Thursday. She-Hulk is about Jennifer Walters, a lawyer specializing in superhuman cases, and she becomes superhuman because Bruce Banner is her cousin. Apparently they're in a car crash together, and I guess Banner bleeds a lot, so she actually ingests, absorbs it, and becomes the She-Hulk, played by Tatiana Maslany, a Canadian from Regina, who is an excellent actor. It's a workplace comedy, kind of like Ally McBeal. That's what I keep hearing. Not sure what to think, I guess, until I actually get around to watching an episode. What do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, no, that sounds good to me. A workplace comedy from the MCU. Uh, I am all in on that. And that's the fun thing about uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least with these TV shows now. They're, uh, you know, just taking a bunch of weird chances every now and then, which uh, I thought one, like WandaVision was a show like that was from like at least the first half of it was something unlike anything we'd seen before. And that worked out for them. Um, Miss Marvel was their last series and went into that knowing nothing about the Miss Marvel uh, line of comics. And I really enjoyed that series. So yeah, I've not, uh, I've known nothing about She-Hulk coming into this thing, but I am looking forward to it. Haven't, haven't watched it yet, but yeah, I'm absolutely going to, get on that as soon as I can. Yeah, we'll take a peek at that and then let you know next week what we think. But up next, Jeff's going to tell you whether or not the TV show can hold up to the movie. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I checked out the new version of A League of Their Own on Prime Video this week. Hey, you. You're clearly going to tryouts. She doesn't look like that much competition. I could be competition, I think. Oh, we're here for the tryouts. I don't think you understand. This is the All-American League. We're pretty All-American. Who was that? Showing that knuckleball. They didn't even let me try out, Dad. Maxine, you've got to make some smarter choices. This is fun. This is something I can work with. I'm gonna take you. They don't get to decide if this is real or not. We do. Let's go! Things are changing pretty fast. Hey, dollface. A League of Their Own, the TV show, is an eight-episode series based, of course, on the sports movie from 1992 that starred Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, Rosie O'Donnell, and Madonna. The movie's one of the best sports movies of all time and remains a delight to this day. I just happened to catch it on TV a couple of weeks ago, and it's one of the ones where if it's on while I'm flipping through, I stop flipping and it stays on until it ends. If somehow you've never seen it, the movie was about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League from World War II. That was a real thing. The regular major leagues of baseball were shut down because of the war, and some of the team owners thought they might be able to make a quick buck by having women play baseball while the men were overseas fighting the war. The movie's a comedy slash light drama. It's a story of sisters, a friendship, of team camaraderie, of course, and strong women overcoming stereotypes and expectations, and it's done with a light touch. There are tear-jerking moments, but it's mostly very fun. The TV show covers all of that stuff and more, and it is a little bit heavier because they are leaning more into some heavy stuff. The show deals with a lot of LGBTQ plus issues, for example, which the movie did not even approach, and the show also deals heavily with race, how black women could not play with the white women, which the movie has one solitary moment about. It's a powerful moment, but it only lasts about eight seconds. The show stars Abby Jacobson from Broad City. She also co-created the show. Darcy Carden from The Good Place in Barry is in it as well, as is Shante Adams, who I've not seen before, but she plays one of the main characters, Max. Jacobson is ostensibly the star of the show, and like Gina Davis in the movie, she's the catcher on the team. Her husband's at war. He's expected home soon, but she takes off to join this baseball league, and she's clearly conflicted about her marriage, and we soon find out why. She gets a little help unlocking that from Darcy Carden's character. She's sort of the free spirit, the troublemaker. But even just three episodes in, you can tell it's a little deeper than that. There are other familiar types on the team as well. Uh, there's a lady from Saskatchewan who's unmannered and uncouth. I suspect 
The hosers in Saskatchewan might take a little umbrage with the portrayal. We probably all should as Canadians, but I'm willing to let it slide because as a Manitoban, ragging on Saskatchewan is just fine with me. (laughs) (laughs) One type we didn't really see in the movie, though, is the uh, incredibly neurotic girl played here by Kate Berlant. She's hilarious. They all room together in this big house. They have a league-appointed chaperone at all times, a a woman who was a former Marine and therefore a no-nonsense type, and shenanigans ensue. And the coach here is played by Nick Offerman, a.k.a. Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. Tom Hanks, of course, played the coach in the movie and pretty much stole the show. So Offerman is smart casting. He doesn't quite steal the show like Hanks does, but he is pretty entertaining. Again, I'm only three episodes in. All eight are available now. Most of the characters will likely, you know, still have a lot of development over the next five episodes that I have yet to watch. The other part of the show is this character, Max, I mentioned before, a black woman who wants to play baseball more than anything, but of course cannot because this new women's league is not integrated. She lives in Rockford, home of the Peaches, the team that we follow, so the show can credibly have her pop up at the store while other girls from the team are there, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, it just helps tie the show together. Mostly, though, it's so far a separate story, and it's probably even a better story than the regular team story. The movie was pretty good about showing a lot of the ways that, you know, life was tough for women in the 1940s. This show does that, but also adds these other layers. You know, it's even tougher being a black woman in the 40s and tougher still to be a lesbian black woman in the 40s. And while Haig stole the movie, Max has his friend, Clance, who steals this show. She is hilarious in every single scene that she's in. Uh, I just can't get enough of her. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters that the show has to juggle, and the mechanics of all that are pretty well done, although it does slow things down a little bit. I think people will you know, come away saying that they prefer the movie because that thing just gets to the point and doesn't take its foot off the gas. There's also, so far, not a ton of baseball, and to be honest, the baseball they do show does not look very good. When actors are not good at sports in a sports movie, you can really tell because they usually just don't offer a lot of wide shots of them doing stuff, which is the case here. And there's also a digital actual baseball by the looks of it a lot of the time, and it is not a very convincing special effect. It's quite distracting, if I'm being honest. But the overall vibe is enjoyable. It's a good hang, and it looks pretty authentic to the period. It's shot beautifully with all the period costumes and the things like that. So definitely worth a look. A League of Their Own is out the whole season, all eight episodes right now on Prime Video. I highly recommend that. Just ambushing you with this right now. um, Can you watch the movies? You probably own it, right? I don't own it. It's one of those ones where, like Jurassic Park, where I'm just content to stumble upon it every now and then, and you end up end up watching it once or twice a year anyways. It has been on uh, streaming services before. It's one of those ones that seems uh, it'll be on Netflix for a few months, and then it's gone, but then it pops up on Prime Video for a few months, but then it's gone, and it's back on Netflix, so I'm not exactly sure where it is right now. Looks but like it's, you... always, it's always out there, and it's and if you have cable, it's often on cable as well. It looks like it's available uh, through Hollywood Suite On Demand, so if you've got that package, you should be able to order that through your PVR, and it looks like, uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, that you know what? Uh, that's a pretty pretty solid review. I I gotta admit I had no interest in this, but uh, after listening to what you just said, it sounds like it's worth a look. And uh, when did that movie come out? Nineteen ninety two, I think. I think that's when I saw it. <laughs> it's been a long time. I've only <laughs> seen it one time. I should go back and watch that again. Oh, it's a it's a great movie, and it gets better every time you watch it. It's just 
it's one of those things, especially for guys our age, Brett, that it just, it's very, like it's set in the 40s, but it's the movie itself feels very 90s and it's just a, there's a nostalgia vibe like that. Of course, I mean, it helps that, you know, Gina Davis and Tom Hanks are in it. Okay, so that's A League of Their Own on Prime. And as I was scrolling through our script here, because uh, in case you're not familiar with our setup, I'm at the studio at the radio station, and Jeff Braun has been working at home since the beginning of the pandemic. And I was I couldn't believe it. Like, you went to see what movie? Well, it wasn't my decision. My girlfriend picked the movie. So <laughs> it was. Uh, I, I did, we did go to the movies. We went just last night to see Diane Keaton in Mac and Rita. She's charming. Hi, hello, Rita Martin. She's hilarious. All bodies can do Pilates, but not all bodies should do Pilates. But earlier today, think about who you want to be. She was 40 years younger. Oh, oh my God. These things here, they're not mine. Mine were like normal size. Diane Keaton. Nobody wants to be old. This is my go-to for a total body reset. Good for you, girl. You go. But I'm still Rita. Mac and Rita. Rated PG-13. And I'll also just point out that we chose, I think she chose this movie based on what time it started and where. So it was more of a scheduling thing. It's like, oh, that's a convenient movie to see. Let's go see that. Uh, Mac and Rita came out last week. It did not light up the box office, nor did it impress many critics. It made just over a million dollars in its first week and is at 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that sounds about right. There were 10 people in our theater, I think, last night, and it was cheap night at that theater. So, And the movie also wasn't very good. It's a body switch movie of sorts, which I was not expecting. And that's a jarring kind of movie to have foisted upon you when you were not expecting it. But I like body switch movies, so it was kind of a pleasant surprise in the end. The main character is Mac, this 30-year-old woman who often complains that she's an old person trapped in a young person's body. And one weekend at a bachelorette party, she ends up in what must be an enchanted tanning bed that they never explain. And then when she gets out of it, she's a 70-year-old woman in the form of Diane Keaton. That, of course, is followed by the requisite freaking out and eventually finding her groove. There's also the mandatory trying to keep it a secret and keep up appearances and all the things that come with the body switch movies. There's also a love story with Keaton beginning a flirtatious relationship with the man their younger self was in love with. And she tries a number of different things to get back to the way she was, but eventually she finds success and happiness as an older woman and does consider trying to stay like that forever and not try to change back. The movie doesn't really offer anything in the way of explaining the logistics of how old Mac, a.k.a. Rita, would be able to live without a social security number or anything like that. She gets a job. I have no idea how the paperwork for that was processed. Normally, that stuff doesn't matter, but a movie also has to be good to keep you from asking questions like that while you're watching it, and this does not cut the mustard. The worst offense, though, is that it is a comedy that just is not funny. I know my theater was largely empty, but I also there were people there, there were heartbeats, and I did not hear any laughter from the few who were there. I chuckled once or twice, but that was about it. And it's too bad, because I love Diane Keaton. And even though the movie isn't good, I guess it was still nice seeing her getting a leading role, because not a lot of that out there for older women actors. And if you like Keaton's fashion sense, which she's you know been curating for decades now, the movie is probably worth it, because the costume department came up aces for her. There's all sorts of wild outfits that only she could pull off. So that at least gave us you know something interesting interesting to look at on screen, but it wasn't enough to save the movie. It's a pleasant enough endeavor, but uh, it's pretty bland. Save your money. If you do think you want to watch it, wait until it's uh, on streaming or on TV or something like that. Two couch cushions out of five for Mac and Rita. Not a good one. 
Ouch. Well, perhaps you can exact your revenge on your girlfriend by taking her to what looks like a completely ridiculous movie that's out this weekend. We'll tell you about it next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Amongst the new movies out this week, wanted to point this one out. New in theaters, Idris Elba takes on a lion in Beast. Stay still. Don't make a sound. I've never seen anything like this. Multiple attacks without eating its prey. Lions don't do this. This thing is not going to stop. You have to be careful. I promise you I'm going to protect you. Come and get me! Beast. Rated R. Only in theaters August 19th. This looks ridiculous and exciting and fun. Idris Elba plays a father of two teenage daughters. They're on a trip at a game reserve in Africa when a rogue lion decides to start hunting them. Apparently the lion is a survivor of some really nasty poachers and pretty much hates all people now. And he's not just hunting them, but he's stalking them. He's making their lives miserable. He's toying with them. Looks Super thrilling. Charlto Copley, by the way, co-stars. He's awesome. And whatever anything he touches, he's just fantastic. Um, it's got 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, but I should point out we are recording this show on Wednesday as opposed to our usual Thursday. And there are a, a total of five reviews posted. So that 80% could change very dramatically by this weekend. But yeah, I mean, it's simple story. Dad's got to save his kids from an angry lion. And it looks fun. And I think for you, it's probably going to be something like it's going to pair nicely with uh, your semi-annual rewatch of The Grey, won't it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Where the, it's Liam Neeson versus the wolves. Yeah. Here's Idris Elba versus the lion. Although The Grey turned out to be a far more profound movie than I thought. Like when I first, because they marketed that like, okay, these guys are trapped in the woods. They got to fight their way out. And, and Liam Neeson's going to start dropping haymakers on a pack of wolves. And it turned out to be a much more introspective and thoughtful and tragic film. But yeah, this looks fun. And it just makes me think of... You know, other like sometimes that's all you need is just a simple thriller that has that isn't really trying to tell you any sort of big message, right? Like there might be something more to think about there, but for the most part, like I think of a movie called um, Judgment Night from 1992 or 1993, starring Emilio Estevez, Cuba Gooding Jr., Stephen Dorff, the Oh, I can't remember his name. I got to look it up. And uh, Dennis Leary and one of the guys from Everlast from House of Pain. Did you ever see that? I never did. But that's uh, the weird category of movies where the soundtrack did better than the movies ever did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that because that well that that soundtrack was legendary. That and I think yeah. it may have single handedly kicked off the whole new rap level. rock, or at least brought it to a new level. Jeremy Piven, by the way, was the other guy. I always forget his name. But uh, yeah, that was just a movie about four guys who try to go to a boxing match and uh, in Chicago, and they, they take a detour because the freeway's in gridlock, and they end up in the worst crime-ridden part of town, and they end up being hunted by this group of drug dealers who, because they, 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 the drug dealers execute a guy in the streets, and these four goofs witness it, 
Dennis Leary and his boys say, no witnesses, so they chase him through the streets, and it's amazing fun, and I highly recommend that. But uh, anything, any other simple movies like that jump to mind for you? Well, for me, uh, like when in the during the '90s, I wouldn't watch a lot of thrillers because I was all the big action ones I would watch, and I was all about comedy, and I wanted to watch those. So I skipped a lot of these other ones that didn't look very good. And now, in the last couple of years, just the '90s nostalgia has made me go back and watch some of these. So I've been watching movies like Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider and Double Jeopardy, anything with Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd, apparently. <laughs> uh, and it's just you know detective uh, movies where they're trying to catch a serial killer, where uh, Freeman plays the old worn out detective and Ashley Judd plays you know like a, a wife who's been wronged or a woman who's been falsely accused and she's trying to clear her name stuff like that they're not great movies I, it's probably okay that I skipped them in the theater at the time but they've been a, a blast to watch uh, at home the last couple of years I, I, I've been like googling a 90s thrillers and trying to go through the list of Bone Collector with Ashley Judd and uh, not Ashley Judd with uh, Angelina oh, Jolie Angelina Jolie and Denzel. That's a great one, too. As is a Primal Fear is actually an amazingly good movie with um, Ed Norton and Richard Gere. That's a terrific film. I'd never seen that before until two years ago. So uh, if you've never seen Primal Fear, check that one out. That's a really good movie. That's not even a guilty pleasure. But yeah, lots of these 90s uh, serial killer thrillers. I've just been going nuts for them the last couple of years. And you know what? Speaking of mindless thriller kind of fun movies... Vampire hunting is a business. Cut next and cash your checks. Tried to watch that uh, vampire hunting movie on Netflix, <laughs> Day Shift, starring Jamie Foxx and Snoop Dogg. But my stupid Netflix that I'm paying like 20 bucks a month for, for the 4K, the, it, this, it was just, the picture was so bad. And then I exited the app, tried to go back in, and it just wouldn't load. So boy, was I angry on Saturday. So hopefully I'll be able to watch that this week and tell you about it next week. It looks like silly fun. And sometimes that's all you need. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.